Today on Blue 58, it got interesting for a second, but the Packers ultimately took care of business against an overmatched Philadelphia Eagles team. In a part of the season where winning is all that matters, what does this do for the Packers? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here after another Packers win. Count them, nine of them on the season so far, and this is a good one. It's always great to get a home win. Always great to get a home win in December, and that's exactly what the Packers did today. Look, it was it got tense there for a second down the stretch. Can't spin that any other way. But ultimately, I feel like this is a pretty good, pretty complete effort for the Packers. And as we said in the opening, all that really matters in this part of the season is getting those wins. Style points aren't counting for anything, especially in the war of attrition year that we're having. Just get the wins let everything else kind of fall where it may. That's the only way you can control your own destiny to stack as many cliches as we can get here into this part of the podcast. Just keep getting those wins, get the best seed you can, and reassess once you get to the playoffs. It was good that the Packers got to have Carson Wentz for a half year. And I'm glad that this is not a Philadelphia Eagles podcast because unpacking the various different outcomes and hypotheticals about what comes next with three big expensive years still remaining on Carson Wentz's contract are that that seems like a really annoying conversation to have not just now but it seems like for the foreseeable future for them maybe Jalen Hurts makes the difference if he's in there for the entire game it sure seems like he gave the the Eagles a bit of a shot in the arm there in the second half but that's not what they started with and the Packers beat the guys that were in front of them even as Hertz started to rally things a little bit, even as they gave up the punt return for a touchdown. They weathered that storm, finished strong, and got the win. The three good things that I want to focus on in this game start with Aaron Rodgers. This game was a quarterback referendum. The Packers won because Aaron Rodgers is better at quarterback than Carson Wentz. Rodgers made the open throws. Rodgers understood how to manipulate the pocket. Just look at that long touchdown pass he had to Robert Tunyon. Yes, there's some pressure there. He steps up at the pocket, steps out of a sack, just as easy as you please, and gets the ball downfield, still having been pressured because he knows where the weak spots in the defense are. Just a master class, again, of understanding exactly what's going on. And it's great to see. And it's great the stats are bearing that out too. Getting to 400 touchdown passes, 36 on the year, continues to stack good game after good game after good game. And I was very pleased in this game to see Matt LaFleur not try to run the ball too much when it wasn't really working all that well until Aaron Jones busted that big one. The strength of the Eagles defense is their defensive line. And Lafleur seemed like he was not going to hamstring himself by trying to make things work against that line when he didn't have to. As long as the Packers could protect Rodgers, and they did pretty well throughout most of this game, he was going to be able to pick the Eagles apart, and that is exactly what he did. Let's talk about the offensive line here for a second. I was a little bit mystified at first when I saw the lineup. I assumed that John Runyon was going to get a look at guard. But they roll out with David Bakhtiari, Lucas Patrick, 
Elton Jenkins, Billy Turner, and Rick Wagner from right to left. My question was, why make the line weaker at tackle to upgrade slightly at guard? Billy Turner had a pretty rough season last year playing at guard, but I think he's been pretty good here this year at tackle. And knowing that tackles are more important than guards, it didn't seem to add up to me right away that they would want to weaken their tackle spot just to have Turner inside next to Jenkins. But the bottom line is that it probably makes a little bit more sense to have the strength of your offensive line, the guys you feel most comfortable with on the inside, given that given that's where Philadelphia's strength really was. Fletcher Cox comes to mind there. Even if he wasn't playing 100%, you still have to account for him. And they have other solid interior rushers too. And for the most part, the offensive line played really well. I think I would probably put both sacks on Aaron Rodgers, but even then, they were barely sacks. The one on the Packers' first drive, yeah, sure. But the second one, he just laid down because he had nowhere to go with the ball. He could have thrown it away, sure, but it didn't ultimately really matter. The offensive line played well in this game. Finally, third big thing that I want to talk about, not because the stats matter all that much, but the Packers' pass rush has been improving, and it was good to see them get some counting stats to help some of the people who aren't as into advanced stats really get a grasp on how how much better that they've been. We also got a good example, and this is something maybe we should talk about at some point in the week following this game a little bit. Um, we also saw, I think, how much a quarterback can affect sacks. Because I would say three of the four sacks that the Packers had against Carson Wentz in the first half were, were his fault. And we'll get to that um, when we talk about some of the, the more individualized observations later in the podcast. But uh, bottom line, again, is that the Packers got a bunch of counting stats in this game. Six sacks as a team, one and a half from Rashawn Gary. That gets him to four on the year. I predicted he'd have at least five. Getting pretty close. Dean Lowry also had one. He has multiple sacks in the season now. First multi-sack season since 2018. Didn't have any in 2019. He was getting a lot of push today. It's easy to forget that even if the stats aren't there, uh, that that Lowry does have some good things he can do. Uh, he's a good athlete as an interior rusher. Uh, still probably a little bit overpaid, but uh, we're focus, focusing on the positive here. Um, for the non-traditional stats, coming into this game, Preston Smith's pressure percentage was up to 6.6% on the year. That's still way down from where he was last year, and it's below his career average so far. But now he is getting pressure on 6.6% of his rushes for the season. And I would bet after this game, that is up again. And if the Packers can have two or three guys consistently getting pressure on the quarterback, they'll be in pretty good shape. It's probably never going to be good enough to fully overcome Mike Pettin's alarming tendency to drop seven guys into coverage when he doesn't have to. But still, uh, having guys get pressure consistently from that front group is going to be important. we got to talk about some bad stuff, though. And while we could talk about three bad things, I'm going to boil it all down into one. I'm calling this the ghost of 2019. They quite, haven't quite shaken this one issue that haunts them. Last year, LaFleur's first season, 
the Packers seemed to have long stretches where they would just disappear entirely. Offense, defense, occasionally on special teams. And these stretches still pop up from time to time. It's not as regular an occurrence as it was last year, but it still does happen. And it happened in the Colts game. It happened in the Jags game a little bit. It happened today. We got an all three phases version of this disappearing act today. Packers go up 23-3 to in the second half on a field goal. Next drive, the Eagles do- go down 72 yards and score. That scoring play comes on a fourth and 18, 32-yard touchdown pass from Jalen Hurts to, I think it was a tight end in the, in the corner of the end zone. Doesn't really matter. Um, Mike Pettin rushed four on that play. Dropped seven into coverage. Why not at least make it an even matchup, rush five? Six guys should be able to cover five guys. Whatever. Okay, whatever. Still 23 to 10. But the next drive, Packers go three and out. Then immediately give up a punt return touchdown. 23 to 16. Thanks to a missed PAT. Next drive, Packers go three and out again. Back-to-back drives, they go three and out. Thanks to a penalty, those two drives netted them a total of negative two yards. And very fortunately, the Eagles didn't do anything with their next possession. Against a better team, that's a sequence that probably loses you a game. It shouldn't overshadow what was generally a pretty complete effort today, and the Packers even turned it around after that stretch and played pretty well in the latter stages of the fourth quarter, but it's worth keeping in the back of your mind. The Eagles were a missed PAT away from driving for the lead with less than five minutes to go. That's still kind of scary. It shouldn't overshadow the rest of the game, which was good, but that is worth keeping in the back of your mind. Ultimately, though, what does this mean? What it means as of right now is that the Packers are the two seed in the NFC. At this point of the season, holding serve is the most important thing. And I think that's especially true for the Packers. We've said it for a while now. The Packers are pretty much a finished product. I don't see big improvement in any area on the way. Their defense is pretty much what it's going to be. Their offense is pretty much what it's going to be. So get wins. Improve your seating. See where you're at in the playoffs and go from there. Today, the Packers won, and the Seattle Seahawks lost, which means the Packers are now the two seed. If the Packers win out and New Orleans loses one game, the Packers will be the number one seed in the NFC. Packers are in very good position here. They've got games against the Lions, the Bears, the Titans, and the Panthers coming up. Three of those four should be fairly easy wins. The Titans could be tough, but the Titans also showed today that they are eminently beatable. We'll see what happens. But the Packers are in a very good position to get the one seed in the NFC playoffs right now. The Packers also got a little bit of revenge on the team that beat them last year. That is always nice, too. Not that it counts for anything. Again, no style points in the NFL, but still. For those of us on the outside looking in, not playing for the team, that's a pretty good thing to do. What happens next? Packers are off to Detroit next week. This was a game I was hoping to get a press pass for and cover in person. Uh, But then, um, well, yeah. 
Uh, this is going to be the second time the Packers are going to be able to finish off an NFC North opponent this team uh, this year. They've played their two games against the Vikings already. This will be number two against Detroit. They still have one to go against the against the Bears. The Lions beat the Bears today, thirty-four to thirty. This is their first post Matt Patricia game, and you never really know what you're going to get against an interim team or a team with an interim head coach. If this was like the 2017-2018 Mike McCarthy Packers. I'd have said, feel pretty good about Detroit getting a win here. This just seems like on the road, interim coach, December. Yeah, that's probably going to be a weird loss. There's going to be like a weird score in it. It's going to be like 36 to 29 or something like that. Uh, 24 to 18. You know, some some weird score. Packers will probably lose on a fluky play of some kind, but it'll still be a loss and they won't play well throughout. That's the old Packers. I would still say the Lions are not to be taken lightly, uh, but the Packers should should get a win here, and it'll be another good barometer for where the Packers are and where their heads are at at this point in the season um, next week. Let's talk about a couple of random things from this game, just some, some notebook emptying things here. Kingsley Kiki had two of the Packers' six sacks today. This is his second two-sack game of the year. In the annals of Packers history, there are exactly eight other Packers players who had exactly four sacks. And of those eight, nine, including Kiki, he is the only one to accumulate those four sacks in two two-sack games. Boom or bust, Mr. Kiki. Speaking of sacks, the Packers' first sack featured a pass rush group of Preston Smith from left to right. If you're looking towards the offense. So from behind the defense, left to right, Preston Smith, Kingsley Kiki, Rashawn Gary, and Zadarius Smith. I thought it was interesting that Kiki and Gary are your interior rushers there. This was a third down. Why no Kenny Clark there? I'm not sure. He was out there for some pass rush situations later, uh, but interesting that Kiki gets the nod there. Uh, Rashawn Gary and Raven Green teamed up for a sack, and on that play, Tony Romo mentioned how Raven Green appeared to be a late rusher. He used the word triggered. Uh, so what that means is is Green is in coverage there, probably on a tight end or a, a running back, and he sees that the guy he's supposed to be guarding, probably man-to-man, is going to stay in the block. So that means that he is free to rush the passer. That That's what triggers him to rush the passer. He ended up as a free runner on that play, coming, coming after the quarterback, um, unblocked. And he ends up getting half of the sack with Rashawn Gary. And this is a really good example of how sacks can be on a quarterback. Uh, just looking back on the preview that we did, I mentioned how the the Seahawks offense, or not the Seahawks, the Eagles offensive line could be portrayed as one of the strengths of their team. I think that's still true. Uh, because as we saw tonight, a lot of what goes on with the Eagles giving up pressure is on their quarterback for holding the ball too long. And they can generate some pretty good push in the run game. On plays like what happened with Rashawn Gary and Raven Green, the quarterback is responsible for the free rusher. So the quarterback comes to the line. uh, He and the center are working together to make calls. Center and quarterback usually identify the middle linebacker, and that affects the rest of how their pass block scheme works from there. The pass block or the, the pass protection scheme is only designed to account for guys who look like they're coming after the quarterback. Raven Green was not lined up as a rusher there. 
So he's going to be that free runner. He's going to be unaccounted for in the pass protection. And it is always the quarterback's job to account for free rushers. He has to be able to make that guy miss. And given how long Wentz was holding the ball today and how poorly he manipulated the pocket, it was pretty much a sure thing that Green was going to be able to to affect Wentz in the pocket. Aaron Rodgers was not affected by situations like that. He was able to get the ball out quickly or step around pressure when it came. Now, to be fair, he didn't face that kind of pressure as often as Wentz did, but he was able to avoid it when he did. And that's the difference between quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers and quarterbacks like Carson Wentz. Little nuances to the game like that, not getting caught in situations like that. It's easy to assign blame to the offensive line in situations like that, but it is very often not their fault. Just talk offense for a second here. Explosive plays. Alan Lazard had an explosive play today. That would be his first since week three. I don't know if he's fully back to 100% yet. I don't think he'll he'll be fully recovered from that core muscle injury until after the offseason or until after the regular season into the offseason. At some point, uh, you were going to see a piece um, or a report from somebody talking about what percentage he was for, for the remainder of the season after he came back from his his injury. Uh, just write that down. You know you're going to see it at some point. That's just how those injuries work. He's healthy enough to play. He's certainly not 100%, but it is good to see him getting more involved in the offense. And the Packers asked him to do a lot of heavy lifting today, a lot of run blocking, a lot of like tight end style run blocking, um, he's pretty close to 100%, but I don't know if he's going to be there until the season ends. Mercedes Lewis had a 36-yard catch. That was his 12th catch of 35 yards or more in his career. Check out his quarterbacks on the previous 11, all with the Jaguars. Blake Bortles, Chad Henney, Blaine Gabbert, and David Garrard. The, uh, David Garrard. Now, there is a murderer's row for you, and I mean like murdering in that it's going to kill your career. Aaron Jones had a 77-yard touchdown run. Very exciting play. Long touchdown runs are very exciting. I think even more so than long passes uh, on occasion. A lot of stuff to like on this run. Uh, Made a smart decision to stay in bounds. Broke a couple tackles. By one count, I saw at least six broken tackles in that run. Got blocking downfield from David Bakhtiari, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And a huge celebration in the end zone. Very, very exciting stuff. This was the ninth Packers run of 70 yards or more since 2000. Second for Aaron Jones. This is the third one of those nine to happen in December. And here is a weird stat for you. Both of the previous runs in the last 20 years of 70 yards or more that happened in the month of December happened on December 28th. Today's the 6th. So got to break the streak sooner or later. But The Packers had a 73-yard touchdown run by Deshaun Wynn against the Lions on December 28, 2008, and then a 98-yard touchdown run by Amon Green against the Broncos in 2003. Let's finish with this. Mason Crosby missed a point after touchdown again today. That was his second of the year. Went back and looked at the play. It appears that he was kicking the laces there. That is generally an issue with the holder and snapper. Uh, Scott didn't appear to have time because the the snap was off target uh, to rotate the laces around, just had to get the ball down. More to the point, J.K. Scott is not going anywhere. What I'm trying to say is this, an off-target snap 
that causes a missed PAT is the sort of thing that loses long snappers their jobs. And a couple of weeks ago, the Packers had long snappers in Green Bay for a workout, a group of them, two or three of them. I don't know if a change is imminent, but if the Packers were going to make a change at long snapper, I think now would be the time. I don't think you want to be making changes during the playoffs. I think if you're going to make a change, you want to have some acclimation time, some time to get, you know, kind of on the same page with J.K. Scott and Mason Crosby, get that whole operation figured out in case the Packers have to be making some clutch kicks in the playoffs. This has been an issue for the Packers on occasion this year. Hunter Bradley snaps have not always been super accurate, and this one did result in what appears to be a non-optimal kicking situation for Mason Crosby. He should still probably make that kick, that's true, uh, but there is something else going on here. And if the Packers were going to make a change at long snapper, now would probably be the time. But to kind of put a bow on that, how great is it that here in December, the first week of December, the Packers are 9-3, and three, and we're spending a chunk of this podcast talking about potentially making a change at long snapper. That's a pretty good place to be. And even with that portion of the game where the Packers seem to disappear a little bit, they're in very good shape. They're coming down the stretch. They seem to be getting better. In an NFC where it doesn't seem like there's one juggernaut, they're really out there just pounding teams. If the Packers can start peaking now as they head into the playoffs, there's no telling how far they could go. Once you get in, anything can happen, especially in a year where, well, just about everything has happened. This is a good place for the Packers to be. And as Packers fans, I think we should feel really good about where our team is right now. So I've got for you in this episode. Do appreciate you listening in. If you think there's somebody who would benefit from hearing this show, go ahead and share it with them. I would appreciate that. That's going to help more people find the show and ultimately help us continue to grow this conversation we're having around the Packers and help everybody, including me, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.